Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this evening's membership virtual Q&A panel. I'm Tarquin McDonald, Chief Executive here at the club, and tonight I'm joined by, I'm sure you know, uh, Stuart Hooper, our Director of Rugby, Craig Lilly, our Academy Manager, Tom Dunn, our Front Row Dynamo, and Orlando Bailey, one of our many exciting talents emerging from our pathway. So, firstly, huge thank you from everyone at the club to all of you, our members, for your support. Uh, not just this season, but this season in particular. Um, we also have a few shirt sponsors and hospitality uh, clients as well. So uh, thank you, everyone who's attending this evening. Thank you for your support. This evening is the third of our membership events, and hopefully you've been enjoying them along with the additional behind-the-scenes content each week with Stuart's team selection insight and also Bath Rugby Unseen further coverage. So. In terms of tonight, the format is broken down into a few uh, sections. We're going to start talking rugby, focused on our recent games, our runs in Europe and the Premiership. We will look at recent news on signings and arrivals and also some perspective on uh, refereeing and cards in games. And we'll even ask you to get involved in that piece. More on that later. There'll be a chance for you to ask questions um, and the way we'll do that, if at any time a question pops into your head, on the right-hand side of your screen, you should have a tab uh, saying questions. Please type them in. Uh, uh, also put the name of the panel member you'd like to ask it to. And then at the end of that first rugby session, and then again at the end of the pathway section, we'll be asking Jojo to come up on stage and pose your questions to the panel. So once we've had that piece around rugby, we will then bring our Chief Operating Officer, Alex Cohen, to the stage we have just launched 21-22 season tickets and Alex will provide an update and also address some of the most frequently asked questions that we've been getting. Following that, we will then get into a deep dive on our academy and pathway. And you'll hear in particular from uh, Craig Lilly as we talk about how we've invested in this space and our plans for the future. And as I said, at the end of that, again, there'll be a chance for questions, which Jojo will collate and ask to the panel. We will then provide an update on the Stadium for Bath project and uh, today's announcement. And I will be asking our programme director, Phil Robinson, to join the stage for that. And then it's a, it's a, it's a very full uh, schedule. We're then gonna turn to rugby briefly for the last section of the panel, just uh, looking ahead to the rest of the season and both our premiership and European campaigns, hopefully culminating on the 26th of June. So, Hopefully that all makes sense. Let's get into our game. And uh, Stuart, I'm going to start with you, if I may. Um, since our last membership event on the 10th of March, uh, and I don't know if that was the catalyst, uh, but we've had a great run of results. We've won five out of six games. We've played our way into European semi-final against Montpellier, and we're climbing our way up the Premiership table now. And um, it really feels like we've been building momentum through the season after a challenging start. And we're nicely poised now as we head into the final quarter. If you reflect on this season, do you see a progression in our game? And if so, what are the main factors driving that? Yeah, thanks, Tarquin. Um, evening, everybody. I will, um, I will answer Tarquin's question. Um, I feel like I need to address the first four comments that were put straight into the uh, question chat that's popped on the right-hand side of my screen. 
uh, and congratulate Rich Knight on how quick he was with his comments around Tarquin's haircut. Um, that was literally less than 10 seconds after he'd gone live. So I think that was that was primed and ready to go. So Rich, uh, Tom, Bruce and Tom all commented on your hair, Tarquin. So uh, a lot has happened since the last members event and your Appreciate haircut it. is right at the top of everyone's list. I'm pleased to get the recognition there. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the, the run of games um, has been a strong run for us. And uh, I think you will have seen a number of things in the games that um, we spoke about in the last members event and coming to fruition. I think we've we spent a fair bit of time tidying up our transition defence um, and, you know, keep developing the attack, the, the straight running lines we talked about, the short passing. Um, and as Tarquin says, we now are at a stage of the season where, you know, it's exciting. It's where we want to be. We have a European um, semi-final, which is at home against Montpellier. And within the Premiership, uh, the run-in for us, um, any run-in in the Premiership is, is challenging. But for me, it's exciting. It's a huge opportunity. We play the teams that we need to get points from. We play the teams we don't want to get points. So the best way of stopping them getting points is getting them ourselves. And um, to have it in our control like that is ideal. And, and we go into this period with a strong group of players, um, an excited group of players. On the whole, a, a fit group of players. And... Um, yeah, we're looking to attack and and do absolutely everything we can in this you know the last two months of the season to to win some silverware um Stuart, we've got to talk about sunday that phrase never in doubt that kick at the death from ben spencer very helpfully uh that tried touchdown right on the edge by will muir and but there was still that scrum to go at the end of the game so you know it was it was a massive win on the back of a real dogfight of a game. So you look at some of those performances up at Newcastle, that was a game we were in control throughout, really, really dominated that game. That Leicester game, that was um, that was pretty, pretty tense. How important was Sunday's win? What key lessons do you take from that game? And um, can you lower the stress levels a little bit for, for this Sunday at the Rico? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been... Um... A game like that, a win like that, is emotional. So you get that 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 sense at the end of of you know massive excitement. The Benny steps up, kicks the ball between the posts. We deal with the last kick off, the scrum, um, and Landy kicks the ball out. And th there's that we won. There's that emotion we won. Like we're 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 one step closer to the 26th of June, and um, that's that's important. And that was you know that was that was great. And it being against Leicester as well um, is important. Um, and part of that feeling, I think, w when it's like that, um, and actually, it's it's been great because obviously, with opening up, I've I've seen many more supporters around Bath and and surrounding areas who've all mentioned the game and talked about, you know, that the win. Um, as a squad and as a group, what it's allowed us to do is to actually to sort of have a real good look at the detail because when the emotion goes away, the detail comes to the fore, and. Um, there, there was a few bits that we missed in that game. There was a couple of, there was a bit around the scrum, um, and there, there was a bit around our um, in our in our attack. Some of the opportunities we took. So, it, it, it's so could you just um, could you just because I think that, that there's probably a real question right there around the the scrum that was quite significant. Could you you said there was something going on there? Could you just talk about that in a little bit more detail? What was us? What was Leicester? What was referee? Yeah, look, it's a combination of all three. Um, Leicester are, 
you know, we, 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 we're, a, you know, we had two international props um, starting the game and an inexperienced premiership hooker. They're a full international front row. Um, and what we saw, I'm sure Donny will talk about it a bit later in, in much more uh, graphic detail than me, but what we saw was um, not a contest in the way, the way that we would like a contest. It's not like a, it's not a, a head-on, we're going to take you on uh, contest. It was a contest whereby, um, you know, there was a bit of soft engage from them, um, potentially a bit of overlean from us. Couple that with a couple of refereeing decisions, which are questionable, and you end up on the back end of, you know, we gave away four scrum penalties. So there's always going to be a reason why things don't go your way. The thing which we are frustrated of and we've been working on is how we can, how can we fix that better in the game? Because it's okay waiting until afterwards, but sometimes that's too late. So we need to be better at fixing it. And in short, they probably, um, you know, they probably backed out of some that, that we would expect them to hit. Um, and we didn't learn quick enough in, on the field. And I just know I've got, I don't know if you can see, I've got a sign saying Orlando Bailey's lost internet connection. So I'd ask supporters if you could submit ideas for the forfeit for uh, Orlando, that'd be helpful. And we'll see, uh, we'll see what that should be. Dunny, you can police that one if that's okay. Um, Dunny, I mean, I mean, just the, how, when you watch, um, well, obviously you've had a, a, uh, hopefully back in action this week, you've had a couple of weeks out when you're watching the games, to what extent, you know, you're sort of analysing what you see, to what extent is it, you know, is it emotional? Like, what was your take on looking at what, you know, how, how did you view that in terms of the Leicester game and the scrummaging? Uh, you, you told me, actually, you were at Centre Parks, weren't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was actually on a pedalo watching it on my phone um, over the kids. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I was getting mad frustrated. It's, uh, it's always easy to see, not always easy, but it's easier to see it when you're watching it rather than when you're in it. Um, so like the technical points there are basically Leicester opened the gap upon us slightly. So by opening the gap, when I say the gap, I mean from distance between hooker's head and hooker's head, because they opened that up slightly, mm -hmm. they depowered us. Um, they didn't want to contest with us. They didn't want a power competition because you look at Benno and Will Stewart and I don't think they thought they could match it. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to bring a referee into it and create 50-50s, create a mess that people have to referee and they can't, they haven't got to deal with the power that we we have. So they did that by um, Ellis Genge opening the gap. So when Will Stewart was setting up where he where Ellis Genge would be, when he'd come down, Genge would have moved back. Therefore, Stewart looks like he's leaning too hard and going through the mark. So that was the first two incidences. So there's a free kick and a penalty. And then from that point in, you then they've created a perception for the referee. So his perception is now Bath are out of control. Bath are, Bath are trying too hard. They're over-leaning. So that, that's where it got created. Um, like I call it almost a positive free kick and a positive penalty. So you look at Ben Urbano and Joanne Schumann, Schumann, sorry, Husky. You look at their two penalties against them. It's actually a really good engage. It's a really good engage. And it's just they, they can't survive that contest. And it goes to the floor. And because the perception of the scrums beforehand... It's all against us. It's against us. So when you're watching it, you can only see it unfold before it does. But when you're in it, it's all a feel. It's all a um, like a cohesion between the three of you in the front row of what's going on. No, it's interesting to get that um, real detail there, uh, Landy. Just to um, there are forfeits where you lose an internet connection. Dunny's policing that, so you'll find out tomorrow. Um, but. Um, 
uh, Orlando, just I'm mean, sticking with you. It's been, it's been an amazing block of games from your perspective in terms of the opportunity to play, um, opportunity to start in the Premiership and in Europe. And you've also had a full introduction to the physicality uh, of the game as well. And credit to you, you've been, you haven't held back at all uh, defending, and uh, which has been brilliant to see. And it's been great to see you step up. You look composed. Um, you know, you haven't looked out of place at all in the team. Can you just talk a little bit about how this has been for you, this recent block of games, what you've learned and how, like the other players, the roles they've had in supporting you, guys like maybe Reese, uh, in terms of your position and so on? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I got that game in September for my debut, um, which which helped with the nerves coming into this block of games. Um, it wasn't my first game and and I think that helped. I'd, I'd played 20 minutes and obviously been training since July with the boys. Um, and I was talking to Max Ojomo about it and we found that training at the intensity we do with Bath with so many internationals around and, and the skill level, like playing against these teams, um, it sort of feels like we're sort of ready for it because we've had each week on a Tuesday, we have a, a really tough session, which feels almost like a game and, and, and therefore it's nice to have that experience under the belt. Um, but as you said, the the physicality and, and the tackling and stuff has been... Um, yeah, that's been a that's been a real challenge, which I've enjoyed. Um, obviously, got one slightly wrong, but learned the hard way. Um, and, well, it took Sam Underhill a, a little while on. when he it took Sam Underhill a little while when he joined us. So um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, um, and and the guys have been great, um, especially Reese Priestland and Josh Matavesi. Um, I'm reviewing. Obviously, Reese has got an injury at the moment, but he's been great with me, like reviewing games and. And going through the details and saying what he might have done or what I've done well, and and um, and then Josh on the pitch is um, he's he's really inspiring. The way how he relaxed he is and um, and the information he provides is is great. So those two have been awesome. Brilliant, brilliant. And Dunny, turning back to you, you played a lot of minutes uh, this season up to that card away at London Irish, and you you've served your three week suspension now. I just had a couple of questions. So first question was um, at this stage of the season, is it actually, I know you always want to play, but is it actually quite valuable having a short break in terms of refreshing your body? Uh, yeah, there's definitely a silver lining to that. Um, but for me personally, I always feel like I play better the more I play. So I'm a bit disappointed to miss these games anyhow. Um, I think it is a silver lining, but it's, it's a very small one. Um, with rugby players, we want to play rugby. Uh, the one way of looking at it, which I've reflected on, is if I play 300 games for the club, which hopefully one day I might achieve, I've missed three games. That's 1% of my career that I've missed. So actually, to miss 1% of my career to feel two weeks fresher isn't that good of a trade-off for me personally. Um, but yeah, it does give you time to step away. Um, you know, you're still heavily involved in the week and the meetings and the training, but actually the game day pressure's not on you. So you get that day either with your family or some boys go play golf or what have you. But you are right. It does take it off physically and mentally and you do get a break. But um, it's a small silver lining for me. Yeah. And um, no, it's not surprising to hear that, the way you play and, you know, how much you love playing. And I'm going to come on and ask Stuart a little bit about some of the, um, uh, you know, some of the broader questions with referees bit of a topic with a number of cards that there's been across the league recently. I was just interested from a player's perspective, what is what is it that you look for in a referee? So I, I don't mean 
getting all the decisions. But what you know, what differentiates a good referee from a bad referee? What are you looking for on the pitch? Uh, it's not so much on the pitch for me. It's, it's in the week. So, like, I know you've got Ian Tempest this weekend. So, I look, we look at the penalties that he awards and doesn't award. So, especially scrum time, it's a real easy trigger. You know, if he pings loose head elbow a week, it's an easy target for us to go for. Or if he pings tight head feet out the back, or if he does a long, a long sequence or a slow sequence at the scrum, you, you, you practice that in the week. Um, but, you know, on the pitch, if I'm, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I, I'm not thinking about the referee at all. I'm thinking about my job, what I've got to do next. Luckily, there's people with a broader broader approach to the game who, who deal with that sort of stuff and deal with conversations. But basically, I just try not to annoy him. That would be my main main aim for the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, I won't mention uh, in Tempest again. But um, so, uh, I mean, Stuart, the refereeing has been a... It's been a hot topic. It's been debated again with the recent spate of red cards. There's always that, that question about the difference between refereeing domestically, Europe, use of TMO. And we've been doing some work on this. We've been talking about this just in terms of uh, the quality of refereeing. Uh, we think there's a, you know, it can be better for sure in terms of the premiership. Could you just explain the systems that are in place to regulate referees, the process of refereeing? and what you think can and needs to change for the good of the game? Yeah, I think the first thing is um, I appreciate and, and, and everyone involved appreciates that it's it's a difficult job. Um, but um, I think what, what where we see improvements and where I see improvements is, is how that it's um, how that it's uh, regulated, I guess, and how there's some some oversight of what the referees deliver. Um, I think that the, the two things in isolation being that the, the first thing around uh, the red and yellow cards around head contact, that's that's brought in to change behaviour. And as difficult as it is at the moment, it, it's got previous history of working. Like two years ago, you'll all remember, we went through um, a number of instances where people were taken, taken out in the air because we needed to change behaviour. And the referees issued the cards for that, and now you very rarely see it. I know we we, we saw horse uh, take someone out in the air, but but very rarely do we see that as a penalty anymore. Um, I, I believe that the red and yellow cards at the moment will change behaviour and are changing behaviour. Um, you've got to remember though that these guys have tackled the way they tackle some of them for 10, 15 years as professional players. So um, behaviour changes of that magnitude do take time. Um, with regard to the referees and the, and the systems in place, we get appointed a referee weekly. We find out who the referee is on um, the Tuesday or Wednesday of game week. And um, as Dunny says, we look at trends, we look at what they give penalties for, what they don't. And we try and build into our game and into, into our messaging, you know, how we can, how can, how we can influence those. And post game, there's a review process, which is conducted by, by Premier Rugby, not by the RFU. Um, but the referees are managed by Tony Sprebury at the RFU and they all, they're they full-time, they come together, they review their games, they go through what they could have done better and, and what they couldn't. And I think that's where we need to, we need to get a bit better as a, as a, as a league and as a, as a governing body is to make sure that there's accountability on those referees to provide the officiating that this league deserves um, because um, there's player safety, there's also the entertainment factor 
and all those things are you know they're on the referee's shoulders on the weekend so as as much as that is high pressure um it needs to be in my view because it's high pressure it's a high pressure sport the lads are under a lot of pressure to perform the coaches the staff everyone's under pressure to put on um a product which is not only safe but it's entertaining and it's something that is aspirational so you know the referees play a huge part in that and, and anything we can do to help that then you know we we will do a couple of questions before we go into uh bringing jojo up on stage and questions from the floor so stuart since we last met we announced the signing of danny cipriani who officially starts with us um start of may in about uh, a week 10 days time he's a player that we've previously considered uh, around the time when he went to play at gloucester he's also a player who pretty much everyone has a view on whether they've ever met him or not this was an important decision and an important decision making process for us can you just talk a little bit around the process of considering danny what he br he will bring to the squad and like how you manage him joining the squad so that we get the most out of, out of him and the rest of the team yeah and um in all honesty the process for um appraising danny if you like and his suitability to sit within our squad is, is no different than it is with anybody that we bring in um the last sort of two to three years of recruitment cycles have been um incredibly rigorous um and you know the likes of um will stewart cam redpath you know these guys that we've brought in in the last uh, you know w uh, will muir those guys that have been brought in have all been uh, an incredible um amount of work into understanding what they can bring to the environment why we should bring them in and crucially why we shouldn't sometimes it's a um it's a question that that people are scared to ask like you, you want to do something so actually challenge yourself why shouldn't we do this as well so everyone goes through that process and, and danny was no different um being completely open the, the, the difference with danny is what everyone thinks about him because you know everyone's read something about him or heard something about him um and something i believe in is is to see things with your own eyes um and and, and actually to understand that the higher the profile of player the more that's going to be said about them but the harder it is to see them with your own eyes so um there is a challenge with that but um a couple of things were really important part of of the process was um what we have here so what we're trying to build and the game we want to play um and how we add to that and also um obviously the 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 need for us to develop our own players orlando being one of them sat there tonight um and and how best we can kind of service that development of of our players and um our attacking game is an area of the game that we want to continue to develop our ability to play from medium pace ball um is something that we want to develop there's lots of medium pace ball around the middle of the field in the premiership and, and danny is one of the best there is at finding those spaces for our players um yeah so the, the process went through a route of obviously watching footage um talking to people meeting him himself uh, understanding his goals his ambitions his drive and I, and I can i can you know i can say that his goals his ambition and his drive is um firmly aligned to what we want to achieve uh next season um and um also the legacy effect he wants to have like he knows he doesn't have long left in the game but he wants to leave the game knowing that he's had the biggest impact possible on um a group of people and 
um, something he's he's never done is is, is win the Premiership, and um, we believe whenever we bring anybody to this club, and Danny's no different, that this is a place where you can be the best version of yourself. And and I firmly believe that we have the group of players and staff that can allow that to be the case with with Danny. Um, obviously, coming into the environment in, in May as well, and starting starting then. Nice. And um, before we go to the we will go to questions from the floor. Dunny, just obviously great win we talked about earlier against Leicester on Sunday. Now a great opportunity to back it up against Wasps at the Rico on Sunday. Um, just before we move on, can you just give a little bit of flavour? Um, what's the plan for the Wasps fixture? How are we going to beat them so our supporters know what to look for on Sunday? So, um, like Wasps are in a bit of a, bit of a hole, if honest. They've lost the last few. They're out of Europe. They're ninth in the table. They're probably not making top four. They haven't really got a massive amount to play for. So they've got nothing to lose. So I imagine they're going to try and chuck the ball around. I think they've got a new shirt on the weekend as well. Um, they're making an event of it. They're going to try and put on a show. So for us, it's about closing them down. It's about making them play from areas of the pitch you don't want to play in. Um, making them you know, kick it to us. Our transition attack's been fantastic as well with Anthony in the backfield and Horse. So it's just about basically forcing their hand to play where they don't want to play, keep the pressure on them and not give them an inch to, to move or wiggle. Sounds simple. So um, we look forward to seeing that on Sunday. And um, Jojo, um, I think now's a good time for us to turn to questions from the floor. If you are able to join us on stage and what I'll just quickly say to everyone is, um, so I don't think I've properly introduced you before. Jojo is one of our marketing managers along with Rachel and Tom, um, does an absolutely brilliant job. I first met Jojo, uh, when I was quite new to Bath talking at some sort of tourism event and all sorts of people were approaching me about, interesting ideas for hospitality with Bath. And there was Jojo and her husband to be Tim. Um, and you were brilliant, you shone. We didn't have a job for you at the time, but we stayed in touch. You came on board um, for the clash and then you joined the marketing team and you've been a brilliant member of the team as as others are. So um, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to uh, to just celebrate that. Um, but, uh, but I'll hand over to you um, to take questions from the floor. Great. Um, yeah, we've had some really good questions. Um, so, hello everyone. And um, I will direct them to who um, they have asked the questions to, obviously I'm not going to be able to get through all of them. And some of them are probably more relevant to other sections of the evening. Um, so first one um, to Dunny. Um, everyone was really enjoying your insight on the scrum feedback from the Leicester fixture. Um, but Tom Martin wanted to ask, if you recognise that the gap is increasing, can you not bring that to the referee's notice and ask for a reset? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you can try that by all means, but if you watch referees like Luke Pearce at the minute, the weekend, he's just he's just rushing everything. He's like any ball at the back of a ruck, he's like use it, back a ball at the back of a mall, use it, use it. At scrum time, he doesn't want to waste time resetting. You know, if the scrum goes down, he's immediately like, right, let's go, kill up, let's go, let's go. Um, so when it comes to the gap as well, he gives a mark. And as a hooker, I can stand on the mark, but I can't get any closer to them than that. I have, I have to rely on him to bring them to me. Mm -hmm. um, 
and in, in, in the weekend he wasn't having it. He wasn't listening. He didn't. He didn't see an issue with it. So, you know, probably having a ninety-nine capped uh, tight head prop and a British national line hooker, it probably made a difference. Like that perception I talk about. So he sees those two. He expects them to do well. They've done well. He he doesn't see an issue there. So it's, it, that's why I like talk about referees. And I start smirking because, you know, there's only so much you can do, and you have to rely on them. Fair enough. Um, and a question for Hoops. Um, everyone's been delighted with Orlando's um, performance over the last few fixtures. But we obviously need lots of cover in key positions um, like number 10. Um, so given the long-term injuries with Reese and Tian, Colin Simmons wants to know, will Cipriani play this season? Yeah, I think, um, Colin, the, the reality is that Reese is, is very close to being back. Um, and Landy's in, Landy's in playing well, and, and we have Josh who's been playing ten as well. So um, bringing Danny in is is important for us about how we build towards next year. But it's not um, it's not at the forefront of my mind around him him playing this year. What it means is we've got another ten in the building. Um, the important thing is that um, well, he he comes here and he he earns the right to play because these guys have been working hard and and, and playing well. So that's the first thing. And secondly, he's not played rugby for a long time. Um, and thirdly, he's not allowed to play in Europe, so um, he won't be able to play, well, obviously in the semi-final, but, but equally in the final, um, he wouldn't be able to play. So, um, yeah, he, he's coming in as, a, as an opportunity to bed into the squad and to understand how we work and to start to, to have an input. But, um, you know, I believe in the guys we've got here at the moment. And, and if, if we need him, he's in the building, but um, Reese is nearly back. Landy's doing a great job and, and, and Josh is too. Great. Um, one for you, Orlando. Um, are you looking, uh, Richard Hill wants to know, are you looking over your shoulder at um, Reese's fitness and your position in the team, or do you take each start um, as an opportunity to um, prove your um, position in the team? Um, no, not at all. Um, I think Reese is class and I've learned so much off him this season. Um, obviously, he's going to Cardiff Blues next year anyway. So, um, yeah, I want to just learn as much off him as I can in the, in the next few months. And um, as you said, any opportunity to play, if it's five minutes off the bench or if it's starting, I'd, I'd take that and, and um, try and get the most out of it. So, Brilliant. Um, another question for Dunny. Um, Sue Moore um, is interested. She thinks that with regards to current red and yellow cards for high tackles, she's seeing players beginning to act up to get another player sent off. Is that your perception as well? Um, like, it's difficult to stand the judge if someone's hurt or not. Or, you, know, you never really, yeah. never really in their shoes. But there have been examples where uh, the, the card is given or like the TMO is been called into play and that player stands straight up again. Um, for me, that that's what you're talking about, isn't it? And it is unfortunately happening. It happened at London Irish game, which I think is what you're what you're getting at. But um, yeah, but it's down to the player's responsibility. You know? like if I lift my elbow, I'm putting myself in that situation. No one's making me do it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I do I do see it and I don't like it. But it's the game we're in, and it's to make it safer for the players. So, you know, you just got to take it on the chain and control. You know, if you don't put yourself in that situation, they can't do that. So that's that's where you fix it. 
Jojo, can I just, I just jump in on that? Because it's something that we've spoken about as a squad because we we absolutely, um, like, there's no place for it in rugby. There isn't, I think. We, we won't, we will not um, demonstrate that as a squad. Like, it's not something that we will ever encourage with our players and, and the players themselves don't want to be a part of something where everything's about appealing. Um, yeah. I watched the game the other day at home. It would have been a Friday night before we played with my kids and, it became apparent to me that, that, that they were sort of commenting on the game based on what the decisions the referee made and the moments that flare up from it when people fall over and they appeal. And I was like, you know, this is this is not right. This is not the way the game needs to go. Mm. Uh, so we need to get back to everyone talking about the, you know, the tries and the tackles and the defence and the, and the heart that people showed, not the, not the flashpoints through um, people potentially being hurt or not. So... I think it's something we need to stamp out and we start that by, as a squad, we're not doing it. Great. Um, and then final question for Hoops. Um, how much involvement, Stuart Holmes wants to know, how much involvement did the senior players group have in the signing of Danny Cipriani? Uh, I think that the, the blunt answer is that they don't have an involvement in the signing of him. Um, I obviously spoken to them since. Um, and explained um, the signing as I would do with 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 any player that was coming in. Um, but there's a, there is a line, uh, there is a line, and, and 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 the lads would, I'm sure, vouch for the fact that I will be as open and, and as transparent about pretty much anything. But there is a line around um, contracts and incoming players because it affects affects people who are here and people who are leaving. So um, yeah. th there is a line, and, and and I lean on my senior players an awful lot, and they're outstanding group for, for challenge and support for me but there is a line and um around recruitment that's generally um where the line is drawn and we'll we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards but the decisions are ultimately um made with me um and and that's their input comes after that great thanks everyone brilliant cheers jojo we will see you again after the pathway and academy section for more questions so please keep them coming in everyone um before we get into that we're just going to welcome alex cohen to the stage to talk about 21 22 season season ticket launch update and alex is our chief operating officer he has responsibility over the day-to-day -day commercial operations of the club and all operational matters and we always talk about and you'll hear about pathway of players uh, and coaches but really importantly like we're an organization we we really want to have that pathway for uh, for great people throughout the organization and alex started here about five years ago as head of operations and has expanded his role basically because he's fantastic and does a brilliant job um and um and, and plays a great leadership role at the club so alex thank you for joining us um in terms of the uh, season ticket launch for 21 22 can you just summarise how the response has been so far and can you just explain that pathway to crowds for 21-22 and the measures in place? Yeah, thanks Tarquin and uh, thanks for the introduction. I wasn't expecting that, but uh, appreciate that. And uh, good evening to everybody. Um, yeah, it's, um, we've obviously, we went on sale with season tickets uh, for 21-22 last Wednesday. So we're a week into the process and I've got to say, we've been absolutely blown away by uh, how fantastic the response has been. It's been amazing, brilliant to see the initial release of that pent-up need in people's lives for live rugby and, and for Bath rugby. Uh, and they want, they clear that, that a large number of people want that back. And we've, we've actually had a record week, first week of sales. Uh, so we're, we're absolutely delighted with that. 
Uh, it's probably also right to reflect on those who feel, you know, that there is a real diversity in how people feel about coming back to live events. Um, and we want to stay as connected with people and how they're feeling about it as we possibly can through a number of different channels, but talking to them on the phone, social media, any, any other kind of contact points we can get to kind of understand how people feel about it. Because there is a big range. There are some people who frankly can't wait for uh, for an opportunity to, to be with other people. Um, but as we re-emerge from COVID, there's a lot of people who don't feel that way. Um, and we want to really kind of uh, do everything we can to reassure those uh, those people. I'll take a, a brief moment to do a little plug. And uh, if you haven't yet renewed uh, and you are thinking about doing so, then keep an eye on your emails because there's some weekly prizes available for everybody who's renewed up to that point. So we'd really encourage people to, to, to click the button and, um, and renew your season ticket if you can do. Um, just to talk about then a little bit more detail about people who are concerned uh, about coming back um, and we very much accept that it's our responsibility through Zoe the stadium manager and the rest of the stadium team to put every single measure that we can do into place to alleviate your concerns and make people feel as safe as they possibly can do. Some of you will have been present at the Scarlet's match that we had last season um, and uh, after the event, we, we ran a survey, uh, which had a great response to. But one of the key factors that came out of that is that 99% of people who expressed an opinion said that they felt safe or very safe at the game. And that was through, you know, obviously quite a significant COVID period, which we were absolutely delighted about that and kind of gave us some reassurance that we were, we were doing, you know, a lot of things right in terms of making people feel safe. Um, so some of the stuff we can look at, we are able to look at, includes the pathways and the approach to the stadium itself, queuing systems around the ground, using outdoor spaces as much as possible, uh, and obviously enhanced uh, availability of hand sanitizer, um, which is now, which will always, I think, probably in the future be very much more available than it ever was before. Um, I think it's right, right to recognise that the 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 the, the rec is an incredibly tough place to. Uh, to manage in that sense, but we will leave no stone unturned and everything we possibly can do, we will do. And just to touch on your second point about the pathway back to crowds, uh, you may have seen that some events around the country, um, snooker is probably the most famous one at the moment, most prevalent one at the moment, are able to hold pilots. Um, and after the 17th of May, we're permitted to hold socially distanced games um, with a maximum of either 25% or 10,000 people at the game, obviously, for, for us, the that 25% so we've been permitted for that and we're working towards that for at least the Saints game at the end of the season on the 12th of June which we're really excited to be able to offer that for uh, and we did just to kind of reassure again we're working towards welcoming everyone back to the wreck in September in line with government guidance at the moment there's nothing to indicate that that is uh, going to present a problem uh, and we expect to be fully uh, a full stadium um, back in, uh, in September at the start of the new season and we'll be doing everything we can and working within the government guidance to achieve that. Vaccine certificates and things like that are yet to be uh, determined, but we will um, obviously be working with DCMS and um, uh, local authority to make sure we can put that in place if that's what's asked for. Brilliant. And um, thank you, Alex, for that. And um, just before we move on to the Academy and Pathway, just quick question. Um, we're obviously all going digital as we are tonight and we're going uh, digital with ticketing um, but we're very much uh, about people and I'm sure that there will be people who maybe haven't got into this yet this week in terms of their season tickets and they have questions what do they do who do they contact who can they speak to 
Okay, so the, 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 some of the key questions we've been given are, um, we've been asked, will you have the same seat as you had uh, in the 1920 season? And the answer to that very clearly is yes, you will. So you'll be back sat in the same seat if you wish to, uh, and amongst the same people around you if they've also renewed in those same seats. So that's, uh, that's, that's brilliant. We recognise how important that is to people. Um, one of the other questions we've been asked is, is what happens if, if COVID does come back again? What happens to uh, if we go into lockdown and we're not able to bring people back to the game? I want to say really, really clearly that we will be, we will honour a refund in exactly the same way as we have done previously. If you're not able to come to a game because we are, we are prevented from allowing you in by government guidelines, then we will refund that proportion of your season ticket. Um, there's been some questions about whether people can come to the Saints game uh, at the end of this season. That's for members only. So just to be clear on that, if you're a member for the, for the existing season, 2021 season, then yes, you'll be permitted to come for that, but it does not cover by the new season ticket. Um, and obviously there's a few additional complications because people are holding credit with us uh, at the moment. So we're, we're really happy to talk people through that if they wish to. Best thing to do is either check the FAQs on the website or to email us at seasontickets at bathrugby.com. And we've got a small but perfectly formed supporter services team be delighted to try and help uh, as soon as they can do. Um, and uh, they can call you back and things. So um, we really support we'd like to support people through that customer journey and make sure that we can facilitate that as much as we possibly can do brilliant brilliant well thank you very much for that alex much appreciated um and we will move on now to our section around academy and pathway and craig i'm going to start with you um thank you for joining us this evening um it's your second year now uh you joined us from your role as head of rugby at cares at king edwards school and by uh, by way of introducing this section on our pathway and academy can I ask you to do two things firstly just to provide a little more detail on your background and experience prior to joining bath and then secondly could you just paint a picture of what constitutes our pathway and academy to help supporters understanding of what we're talking about territory age groups just an overview of the work we do yeah sure uh, evening everyone um yeah, I suppose to start with, I'm, I'm a Bath boy. Um, I grew up in Bath. I played all my rugby in Bath. Um, so that started off with the, with the youth team and then um, into the academy. Um, my, my dad also played for Bath in, in the sort of 80s. So spent a lot of my childhood sort of growing up watching watching that side um, through to the early 90s, which was, um, which was a great experience. Um, I suppose once I finished playing rugby, I moved into teaching. Um, so I... I became a PE teacher and my first sort of um, teaching job was at Ivy Bridge College where I was brought in, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a college down in Devon uh, which is which was heavily linked to Exeter Chiefs so I ran the rugby programme uh, and the PE programme at, at Ivy Bridge uh, and alongside that I worked at Exeter Chiefs as well within the academy. Um, Moving from there, I sort of I've got I got the job at King Edward School, so I was head of rugby there, um, which is in in Bath on North Road, just by the wreck. Um, so I spent four years there, um, where I sort of led the program um, from sort of all the way from uh, under twelves all the way through to under eighteens. Uh, alongside that, when Danny Grucott was academy manager, um, I joined up with Danny, and um, I, I sort of worked part time with Bath Academy alongside my commitment to King Edwards um, and yeah sort of four years at King Edwards having experienced the, 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 the schoolboy um, roots of the game um, I moved to academy manager two years ago um, so 
Yeah, just in terms of pathway, I try and really simplify it because it is quite quite complex. Um, when we say pathway, first of all, uh, the country we, we work within England, um, we, we split across 14 different regions. Um, so the 14 regions are obviously the, the teams that are in the Premiership, the 12 teams in the Premiership, Saracens and Yorkshire Carnegie. Um, so there's 14 sort of boundaries. So we work within Bath and North East Somerset, South Somerset, and the whole of Dorset and Wilts. Um, so we, we sort of run four sites uh, around that area where, where boys would come in at under 14 um, to what we call something called the Developing Player Programme. Um, and they would come, come up through that. And you almost see the, the pathway as a bit of a pyramid. So as you come up through um, the age groups, the the pyramid sort of gets uh, smaller and smaller um so we, we try and keep the pathway lower down narrow and emergent and as we go go through the pathway up to sort of senior academy it becomes a bit more narrow and focused um so so that's how it works is obviously rugby is a late maturation sport um so we, we have we have like a, a program that runs alongside the academy as well which we lead, we, we use to develop our coaches um, and players that don't sit within the academy and we almost see that that program alongside it as like a revolving door. So when when boys are sort of late emerging through, um, the, the, they get the opportunity to come in. We get to see them, um, and and we can sort of move people between the programs. So that's the that's the sort of way it, it, it operates. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And so, Craig, you, you joined us from Cares, and I'd be interested in if you can provide a little bit of an insight in terms of what you look to do immediately taking on the role so that's the first part and then having been in post a couple of years and obviously one of those years has been covid has been uh highly unusual um going through a bit of a review now so the second part is in terms of what you've seen and learned what are the key things you're looking to develop over the next two to three years to enhance our pathway so firstly what did you look at straight away when you came from cares and then secondly in terms of where we're at today what are you looking to change and evolve to really enhance the pathway over the next two three years yeah sure so i suppose my my first lesson at cares in terms of running a, a program within a whole school lots of different um pupils or players lots of different coaches um the first thing for me at, at cares was to align everything uh in terms of coaching practice, coaching behaviours, in terms of the themes and principles we would want, we would want the boys to play um, within and develop. So for me, coming into the academy, it was kind of that same challenge, but obviously on a much larger scale. Um, the area we, we operate in is, is pretty vast. Um, there's hundreds of kids within our pathway. There's probably about 30 or 40 um, coaches, um, most of them part-time with, with other commitments. So... I think the first thing to do was was to align everything um, for, from what we do, like I say, from the way we we ID talent to the way we we deliver, the way we um, the way we speak to players for our teaching and, and learning um, the mechanics of how we we get the best out of them. Um, so that was the first thing. The, the, I suppose the next bit then is um, is making sure that whilst the the, the um, coaches are on the same page we do as much as we can with them um to, to to progress them as coaches so to to work with them from a cpt cpd point of, of view um giving them the best opportunity to pick up what we do 
uh, and take it back to those parts. Um, in terms of talent identification, that's that's the, the biggest thing for me. Um, and it's, it's probably the hardest skill as a coach, understanding and, and, and kind of getting the understanding within our region around the difference between current performance and, and future, uh, future potential. Um, so lots of stuff going around that at the moment in terms of making sure that we get the we, we identify the right players so we can put the, the, the contact time into them coming through. So, Craig, interesting hearing all of that. The, the you know this last year that you've been here, obviously, like none of us, you couldn't have predicted the impact of COVID, and a lot of the focus of discussion in the media has been obviously around senior team and playing games of rugby and games that have been cancelled and the impact of COVID. But there's been as significant an impact, if not more, on the developmental tiers of the game. And I know some clubs took the view they literally cut everything. Uh, you, you know, financial decisions that they couldn't make any different decisions. Everyone was on furlough. They were cutting costs. There's also been the impact of the A-League, the Prem Shield competition was cancelled this year, as was as has been the Premiership Cup. I just wondered if you could talk through a little bit, you know, you've done your first year, you're starting to put, um, you know, plans in place and um, and COVID strikes. There haven't been the games. There hasn't been the ability for the contact time. How have you, how have you managed that? And how have you, what, what positives have you um, tried to take out of this period and to build despite those challenges? Yeah. Um, I, I remember the first meeting actually when we, when we went into lockdown with our staff and something we always talk about as a group of staff is what, what's the opportunity we can get from the situation we're in. Um, and that was no different really. Um, with, with COVID, something we talk a lot about is how we can maximise potential through through shared experiences and um, high quality relationships. So we, we kind of had to take that vision and just apply it in different circumstances. So if, uh, our under 18s, first of all, um, it was obviously a tough time for some of them, obviously not being able to go to school. Um, you know, it, it was difficult family circumstances. So we, we took the decision to carry on with our academy. Um, so we kept everyone going. Um, we launched sort of skill clinic, clinics online, skill um, skill schools, um, little tasks for the boys to be getting on with. We had sort of family quizzes. We just tried to do as much as we could to to engage and have enjoyment with the boys, and but also bringing kind of their families along the journey as well. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, we were actually when when we came we. we took a little bit of a natural pause anyway um, through the summer because that's when the season would, would finish. And then we came back in August. We were one of the first academies, if not the first academy, to come back in August in small groups. Um, and we managed, we we're really lucky. We, uh, As a club, we've got good connections with Wolford Rugby Club, which have a sort of gym and good facilities up there. Um, so we, we managed to get our boys there, get, get in their gym, getting their S&C completed, um, taking, a few, taking the boys through sort of technical components of the game obviously were quite constrained due to numbers uh, and then as restrictions sort of came came away and we went into elite exemption we could bring more and more boys um, back and we've actually got some really good quality stuff out of it um, and we're playing games in May now which is outstanding for those guys so all the sort of work they've done throughout the years is going to be rewarded with some games at the end and it's a good opportunity to obviously see some of our under 17s that we've not seen play too much in the last couple of years but also um, to send our, our under-18s off, which has been a, a really tough time for them. With the senior academy guys, uh, it's slightly different. So 
Um, Orlando's year, for example, transitioning from under 18 into to senior academy. Um, it's hard enough transitioning boys it, it, like to go from schoolboy rugby to, to, to kind of adult senior professional rugby anyway, but to, to go through COVID w- was even tougher. Um, so we, yeah, we, we, we managed to keep uh, connected on sort of Zoom uh, chats and things like that. We, uh, our S&C team worked really hard to get all the sort of equipment to, to ensure the boys could, could keep phys- their physical development going um, so that the jump wasn't too, too much for them as they, as they came in. Um, and then to be fair to those boys, they've been they've been sort of at it since since post lockdown. And um, I think the development scene from these boys is outstanding. Obviously, Landy's had a, had a had a couple of games in in Europe in the Premiership over the last few weeks, um, and that's absolute testament to to how they've kept going under under sort of real adversity in terms of um, constraints around their development. So they've been chuffed with that. Um, we've also used the loan system, so a few boys have gone out on loan. Uh, we managed to get a few friendlies over the last couple of weeks. So we had a friendly against Gloucester last week uh, and we've got Quinns this Friday. Um, and the under 20, so the RFU have put on a lot of activity for, for our under 20 boys. And, and we're fortunate where a lot of our players kind of qualify for that. So it's been brilliant for them to get away and, and train and play with boys at their sort of same age and stage of development as well. And um, Craig, we, we're talking in general terms publicly with supporters about the role of our partnerships with Beach and Cliff and the university. Um, I just wondered if you could just give a little bit more um, detail around the importance of those partnerships for us and our pathway. Yeah, they're, they're really important, I suppose, in two different ways, um, really. First of all, the, the, the Beach and Cliff partnership um, allows us to put to work with boys and have contact time with boys that are sort of younger within the pathway, so we get regular contact time with them. Um, the, the nature of Beecham where we're sort of in there every day, it, it's a really good vehicle as well to, to develop our staff. So we have S&C physios, analysts, um, all operating within that program. And yeah, it's a fantastic sort of partnership for us just because it gives us so much contact time with the players and we can give the boys a huge experience, um, both on and off the field. Um, university is again huge for us uh, to have a university like Bath right on our doorstep is um, is brilliant particularly playing the Bucks Super League um, and again the, the university it allows us to play a lot of our senior academy boys you know where instead of putting them on loan it allows them to train with us sort of during the week um, they can go up and play for the university midweek uh, and, it, and it allows us to be really connected because it's only sort of five ten minutes at the road um, we also use that as a again as a as a as a vehicle to to put our coaching staff up there uh, and analysts as well. So it's just a real sort of connected program. And on top of that, you get to see like we, like I said before, it's a late maturation sport. Um, you get to see some boys in their sort of second year, third year that come through, and they're boys that we pick up. So examples of that would be people like Tom Doughty, um, who yeah, who sort of tran- transition in after their their time at uni. And Landy, um, you, you came through the pathway at Beach and Cliff. I think there were um, there were five of you, I think, in your group, and then one or two other guys who came through from schools like Millfield. So, and were you, were you boarding there as well, or were you living at Beach, and were you just going there as day? yeah? So you had the whole experience. Yeah. Could could you just talk a little bit from the inside what that was like and how that compares? You know how the program at Beach and compares to what you heard 
uh, what you heard from some of the lads from from other schools and their experience there. Yeah, um, the program at Beecham was incredible because it almost felt like a, a, a mid step into um, professional rugby. Um, the way we sort of trained, you know, four days a week, played really intense matches, which were sort of replicated academy um, academy rugby was incredible and, and then spending time with Craig and uh, coaches like Ryan Davis um, every week working really closely on on so much more detail than you you would do at other schools um, I moved from a state school down in Dorset um, and we had we had a strong team but it was all player-led um, and we only trained once a week and you know we turn up and play a game and, and the detail that we we did at Beach and um, and the, the, the bonds you build with players who are also from the city of Bath and going through the programme was incredible. Um, it was huge for my rugby development. And also it was um, it's a very good academic school also, which meant that I could, you know, get A-levels and um, go to university as well. So it means I'm not putting, you know, everything into to one basket, um, which is great. It's a great feature of the school also. So, so you're studying at the university in bath at the moment yeah um uh, alongside the rugby uh which is something we encourage what are you what are you studying i'm doing international development with economics um which is it's been good but uh, a lot of online um lectures and and hopefully be able to go in a bit more next year and and get involved um but um yeah i've been i've been getting home from rugby at about four or five and then doing you know three or four hours of uni work on top of it so it's been um, a challenging period but i'm enjoying it amazing but some some good chat on the last long bus journeys back from newcastle and sale i would imagine yeah, yeah that's exactly. great but um and um dunny the the academy's developed a lot since you came through the system and just thinking about you as one of the players in our senior leadership group. So younger players will look up to you. They, they did anyway, but they really will in that group. Um, and I just wondered, you know, as you look at the guys emerging now, two, two questions from my side. So, so firstly, what, what is, what do you see? What do you notice about the players emerging from our pathway now um, that you like that you see, and then looking further down the pathway to, players who are uh 15 16 17 what advice would you give them for those aspiring players who are hoping to um play the best rugby they can and possibly possibly even get into the academy um what i really like seeing the academy now i didn't used to be there is boys like uh landy who him and his four four mates from from beecham they're all really good mates when they get here because they've all been to school together for two years like the relationships that Lil was talking about, they've already got them and they've got them with the boys the year above and the year, boys the year below. So you come into the, when I came into the academy from Sheldon School, it was just me. I knew a few of the boys from training once a week, but you know, the tightness you get from being real mates at school, they've already got that when they join. And I think that makes it like a lot easier for them to know the boys the year above them as well. So they know the lads who they played with the year before and they do the same for the boys the year below that. So they're a real tight bunch of an academy when they come through and they look after each other. And I think that's invaluable. Um, second question, pal, was, what was it? Uh, the second question was, what advice, what pearls of wisdom right. to um, a little bit lower down the chain, the younger guys who, who are really aspiring to, you know, to get to where you are ultimately? 
my, my advice would be, I call it X Factor. So any young player who's aspiring to be a professional player will have one thing they're good at. Um, and you hear a lot of coaches saying, oh yeah, but is he big enough? Or is he quick enough? Is he strong enough? Or, you know, there's always a weakness they look at. For me, make your X Factor, whether it be your kicking, your scrummaging, your tackling, make that so good that the rest they have to pick you because the rest they can work on. So don't don't always work on your weaknesses. Obviously, you have to work on your weaknesses to be the ultimate professional at the end of the day. But to get selected out of an academy, just just really excel in in what you're good at and put time into that. Mm. You know, if if you're a fly half and the best kicker of your age in the country, they can work on your distribution potentially. Or if you're a hooker and you can't really throw, but your work right around the pitch is outstanding. Your tackling's outstanding. They can work on your throwing. So my advice would be, whatever it is you're good at, whatever your X factor is, what makes you different to everyone else, make that so good that they have to pick you. Mm. I think that's brilliant advice. Make your strength a, a super strength. Yeah, good advice. And um, Craig, final question for me, and then we'll get Jojo up um, on stage again to ask questions from the floor. Um, I know it's sometimes... Uh, we shouldn't name check people, but um, I'm going to ask you to name check people. So our supporters are obviously getting to know, well, players like Landy, um, obviously Dunny's well established for many seasons. We've got guys like Josh and Miles who really have come, have come through the pathway and they're really established now in the, in the senior squad. Can you just shed light on a few names that maybe our supporters should be looking out for further down the pathway um, over the coming season or two? and put a bit of pressure on these boys now. Um, yeah, there's a hooker coming through um, that's in the England 18 squad this year, Jasper Spandler. So he was actually in today. So he was working with Dunny with sort of his throwing. And um, yeah, that, that, that's a player with, with, with high potential. Um, another lad, Jasper's from Beechin. Another lad from Beechin as well, Mackenzie Graham, local boy. Um, sort of played, played all his rugby um, in Bath right? his his life, so he, he's he's going to be a, a good athletic um, six, I think, um, and, and and both those boys will be going to the University of Bath next year. Um, and then there's, there's there's players lower down the pathway, um, Sam Harris, um, a, a fly half stroke centre from from Millfield. Uh, again, he's just broken into the England 18 squad. Um, he's done some really good stuff at the moment. Um, yeah, so so lots of lots of talent coming through it's obviously been a little bit of an odd year this year in terms of some of those 17s we just haven't seen play for that their 16 season last year got got taken out we haven't seen them play for two years um but no some real real talent coming through that we're excited about brilliant well we'll look forward to that and um look that's great i think now's the time jojo if you're able to magic yourself onto the stage it would be great to take a few questions from the floor for the panel please yeah great we've had some really good questions um and um lots of them are for you craig actually so i will start with you um james scott wakeling would like to know when will the new intake of academy be announced yeah so normally we would announce it sort of in february march time um there's just there's so many different moving parts to it at the moment um with different things up in the air so we'll look to announce it at end of may that's that's when we'll, we'll announce the next cohort great and another one for you um from david gavins um what does the future look like 
um, are there enough Bath boys coming through and will we achieve the 50% um, local lads mentioned in today's news release? Yeah, so I think you, you, you could always you could always make the number up to 50%. That would that, be easy. You just sign a high amount of players. What we're, do, what we're looking to do is, is every year, year on year, sign the next cohort that's better than the previous cohort. And that's the challenge that we sort of put with staff and, and the players coming through. Um, I, I really believe in what we do, what we're doing. I really believe in the pathway. I really believe um, that, that by t- uh, 2023 we'll have a 50% homegrown squad um, interspersed by, by world-class players. Um, I'm really excited with with what's coming through. Like I said, and um, I, ju- I just think the kind of layers we're putting around our program, the the things we're doing to make our pathway wide and emergent, but get narrow and focused as they come through the top is, is it will come to fruition. I I really believe in it. Jojo, I'm just going to, just going to jump in there if that's okay. Like that, the, the 50% is, is something strategically, which we're working towards a real life example of why that's important has been seen um, both in post lockdown and this season. So, um, the easiest way to explain why that's important is beyond the kind of cultural benefit of having people like Dunny said who are mates and and who want to win things together. Um, we've had Landy, who's obviously here tonight. Um, previously, we we may have gone to the market to bring somebody in when we were when we had an injury at ten. We've had Ethan Stadden play Premiership games at just eighteen, the youngest ever Bath player to play in the Premiership. We've had Ewan Richards play in the Premiership and win away at Northampton. Like these are big milestone moments, and um, it's really important to understand that, that those moments haven't happened because we've said we want to get to fifty percent. Those moments have happened because those players are good enough. Like I, I genuinely, when you know when we're in need for those players to play, I genuinely can't pick up the phone and find someone who's better to come in than them. I can find people who are more experienced. I can find people who've played more Premiership games, but. I can't find people who can deliver what they can deliver. And, and that's where the 50% goes from being a strategic goal to a real story. And those guys have been a, a living example of that this year and, and post-lockdown. Brilliant. Um, and now a question for you, Tarquin. There's been a few questions asked around um, women's rugby and um, girls' rugby. Um, Paul Taylor... Robert Jones and uh, Felicia Britton Reed would like to know: Do you have an academy program for girls and young women, or is there any plan? What's the development of women? What's, what's the plan? Up? No, look, I mean, look, it's a great question. We're behind where we need to be, and that's something that we talked about in detail pre-COVID, pre-first lockdown, and then that uh, COVID has struck. What we've actually been doing uh, behind the scenes through COVID is we as someone whose role was redundant in the ticket office because we weren't selling any tickets, uh, but is passionate about girls and women's rugby, we um, reassigned her and there's been an extensive piece of research that's been done actually about the um, our game across the community and grassroots clubs and also about the girls and women's game. And that work is not yet quite being completed. Um, but we're hoping to make some announcements about that over the the next month or two. You know, from a personal perspective, my, my daughter's nine years old. She doesn't play rugby, actually. She plays football. I've got, there's a, 
there's a Barcelona bed spread she 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 has on bed, and just the like over the last year, the role that sport and her team has played in like her development, it's been it's just been absolutely amazing. And we've got to correct what we do from a participation perspective across our community. We've got to correct what we're doing in terms of a, a professional team and pathway to that. So these are things we've been working on and we will be um, uh, talking about that in more detail, hopefully before the end of the season, which I think is brilliant for the club and it's brilliant for the community. Great. Um, and I have one last question for Craig. Um, Beverly Wallace wanted to ask, um, what proportion of the senior squad do we plan to have come through from our academy? Obviously, we can make plans, but you might have a figure in mind. Sorry, Jojo, you said that I lost you then. What proportion of senior squad do we plan to have come through from the academy? Hoops, do you want to jump onto that? Yeah, sure. I think that that, that's, that relates to 50%. Like, we want that to be the case. Like, there's a... Um, there's a desire for us to do that for a number of reasons and um, it will only be done if we get the quality that we need. So that's where we put pressure on, not only like good pressure on our pathway, but, but pressure on our on ourselves so that the identity is strong, so that the talent ID can be better, so that the production of these players can be better. It's not a... Um, we have pathway players um, who are our starting players and internationals. Tom's one of them. Um, Charlie's another one. Like these guys are internationals that were pathway players, but they would they came through the pathway rather than that they were developed by the pathway. So um, Craig's working incredibly hard to develop players in the pathway, like Landy, who were targeted to be part of our pathway for a specific reason. Um, and yeah, we want that first team squad to be fifty percent homegrown because we believe that's the best way to be. Brilliant. That's all my questions. Thank you, Chocho. So. Um, we're going to spend a few minutes on the stadium for Bath. I'll try and keep this brief because I do want to return for two or three rugby questions just at the end before we bring things to a close. Um, so if we could bring Phil Robinson to the stage. So just to explain, Phil's our programme director on the stadium for Bath project. And uh, he effectively has been working as a MD, managing director, if you like, of the project, working with me and other members of the club on our uh, club staff and our stadium board. He's got 25 years of industry experience, smart, knowledgeable, committed experience, brilliant to work with, GSOH. Um, Phil, can you say hello and hello. briefly summarise your stadium experience uh, for people at home so they understand what you what you bring to the party? Well, after an introduction like that, I think I'll quick while I'm ahead. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, so uh, my stadium experience um, first started in 2008. Uh, with um, Bristol City Football Club. Um, back then, they were trying to build a new stadium in a site called Aston Bell, about a mile away from where they currently are. Um, I've also be, been involved with their current stadium, uh, revamping that, expanding that. Um, aside from that, and um, several iterations with um, your good self, Tarquin, I've spent two and a half years at Wembley Stadium, uh, working with the FA, so not building Wembley Stadium, but once it was built, um, working to improve, enhance, put right things that have gone wrong, um, Rugby World Cup overlay, things like that. So I was leading their capital projects team there for a couple of years. 
and, and most recently on the current scheme at the REC. Brilliant. And um, so we got to know each other when you were an associate director at Capita. Um, you're now uh, a director for the last five and a half years or so of your own consultancy with a number of other ex Capita staff in that big consultancy. Um, before I get into the details of our announcement from earlier today, I know that you've worked with other clients in Bath and you've worked um, as a consultant to Baines, to the council as well. Just as context, obviously we started the Stadium for Bath project in 2017. Just could you provide some context in terms of the challenges relating planning in Bath and your experience with Stadia, just so our supporters understand that um, this seems long. This is unfortunately the territory with what we're trying to do. Yeah, certainly. And I know, because um, I'm a sports fan myself, I know it can be really frustrating when um, your club is telling you they're building a new stadium and it seems to take an age. And before I get into the difficulties of, of doing something like that in Bath itself, I mean, stadiums as a whole, wherever you build them, are big, complex structures, big, complex buildings. They have an impact way beyond their footprint. Um, and there's, you know, we live in a democracy and there are planning rules you have to adhere to. Um, lots of people, because they're impacted in good ways and bad ways, want to have a say. So they are complex buildings to get off the ground anyway. Um, just look at Bristol City and how long it took them to get to where they are today. You know, they spent probably three years trying to build something on another site that got squashed in the end, just as they're about to go into planning because of a town and village green inquiry. So um, they are complex, they are difficult. In Bath, you have an added layer. Um, the recreation ground is in a conservation area. The city is a world heritage city. It's a, it's the site covers the whole city. Um, that's an added layer, of not just complexity, but a whole host of other people who want to have a say in what you're trying to do. And a lot of people don't deal with stadiums day in, day out. They don't understand them. There's a, there's a level of fear about stadiums. and. Um, you have to go through a process of educating them in terms of what stadiums mean and how they're built and why we do the things we do. And you have to listen to everybody. Um, the worst thing you can do is just ignore people. You might not agree with them and you might not do everything they want. You can't please everybody, but you have to make sure that they feel they've been listened to and they understand why you're doing what you're doing. So these things just do take an awful lot of time. Uh, we're also dealing with officers both on the heritage side in Bath and also on the planning side that um, are not well funded now. You know, there's not many of them around. You have to take your turn to meet them and deal with them. Um, you know, we on the private sector, we, we race ahead with things. We crack on, we, we flood it with resource and get the job done. You can't do that when you're dealing with local authorities and historic England and other bodies like that, you know, that they don't have the resource to go at the pace we go at. So, it is frustrating that these things do take time, but they are well worth it once they're delivered. You'll forget about the pain and you'll just enjoy a fantastic new stadium. So, well, I'll come on and ask you your view as a maybe slightly more impartial person. I suppose the, you know, sometimes I have asked myself when you take all of this into account, is the REC the right place for redevelopment? But the answer I always come back to is yes, unless it becomes an impossibility, then Absolutely. It's where it's, we played rugby here for 125 years. There's the history, the memories. I mean, even Landy, um, hearing you talking about what it means 
to you to play rugby at the rec i know dunny what it what it means to you and this is you know this is our city and for all of you our supporters this is your home this is your place where COVID aside you come together we all come together with friends and families and build friendships and there's highs sometimes there are lows but it's our stadium our city it's our team and it should be and will be our fortress and you know that's why we fight for it in my mind it's everything that it can be it's those days in the sun sunday was great those days like the semi-final against leicester and i think importantly you know we champion this so much the role the massive role that we play in terms of contributing to the city's economy the jobs we provide the role of the foundation in helping young disadvantaged adults and children succeed in life the community team that's why i think we should play it right phil you're impartial <laughs> what do you think so genuine ge genuinely what do what, what do you think so, of the experience that you've got you know yes so i mean you're absolutely right um the wreck is bath rugby's home it's where your heart is it's where where your heritage is at but with my hat on you know um putting aside the the heart and soul side of it and the practical side of it it is a fantastic location for a stadium we already have a stadium there all right i'm going to say it not a very good one um, but we have one there and you know there's a history of playing rugby there for a start practicality wise you're in the heart of the city center fantastic location for stadiums because you have access to all the transport links and all the other benefits that a city has to offer um you know, you you take a stadium out of town near a motorway you've got to build huge car parks um that's not very popular these days uh so you're much better being in in, in the city center uh, you are bath rugby bath is your home there we have looked hard there are no other sites for a new stadium in the heart of bath you do have to go out of town if you wanted to find a new site so so practically it is the right site so i think yes hearts and minds yes you're right that's where you want to be doesn't necessarily mean you have to be there because brutally other clubs um, other sports institutions do move in time but actually your heart is in bath you know, bath is where you want to be you know you're not um you're not chipping the rugby club you're bath rugby club and that's where where you need to be and there isn't other sites available because you know bath top topology is is a, a narrow type valley with a river running through the middle of it and it's sort of already you know built on where you could have built a stadium so in terms of this morning's announcement and and i am conscious of time and members of the panel i know there's uh there's a game at the weekend so i, I think the announcement it, it it sort of says what it says on the tin but our commitment to the city is undiminished in terms of the contribution we can make the role we can play and how much we want to play rugby at the rec in simple terms we had a design and a set of design proposals which were advanced where we'd effectively raised up the setting out point for the building raised up the level of the pitch by just over three and a half meters because firstly it was a solution for flood risks and challenges and water table challenges on the site secondly within that void we provided public parking much like the leisure center adjacent to us and for bath a, a city where parking sites are being given up to development like the avon street car park bath keys north and which relies on traditionally people driving in to spend money in the economy it was a solution for the city that was welcomed by the council and welcomed by the city and thirdly 
we have an ambitious scheme and income from parking contributed to the funding of the development and I think what's happened is we're now 2021 we're four years in from when we really started the stadium for bath project and the reality is the world has changed and that's accelerated during the pandemic and we've really been asking ourselves the questions around parking and parking at the core of the business plan for a stadium and our role that we believe is a responsible citizen as a club you know, the club that we want to hand over to future generations. Is it right that parking is at the centre of our business plan? And the answer to that is no. And we've worked hard. We found an alternative solution to the water table and the flood issues, which is it's not perfect, but it's good enough. And that would be the solution uh, that we use. And we will not have an underpitch car park in our proposals that we bring forward. Um, in terms of how we how we do step forward. There's there's two important work streams that are happening, and then I'll just come back to Phil and talk about uh, next steps and, and timing. So the first of those is that the council's reviewing its local plan, which sets the planning framework for the city. Uh, thank you all of you who responded uh, when we asked you to in terms of submitting responses to that council process, which continues through the spring and summer. And we, we very much hope the REC will continue to be designated for stadium development, um, and that will be confirmed later this year. In addition, the club has been granted leave on all grounds of appeal, and that's really important, granted leave on all grounds of appeal in relation to the recent judgment on the 1922 covenants. And our landlord, Bath Recreation Limited, is also joined into the proceedings. They also have a QC. They're also making strong arguments. They have a case to be heard as well. And a successful appeal is important for them, the large events they want to do, and potentially the future of the leisure centre. So that appeal is due to be heard in the autumn of 2021. So we will be doing some work behind the scenes, but for those processes, we will really be picking up the reins in earnest in the back end of 2021. And Phil, um, once we have clarity on the legal situation and the local plan, how quickly could we move towards a final design and towards construction? Oh, million dollar question. Um, pretty quick we've um i mean we will need to revisit the design but we've also done a lot an awful lot of work to date which we won't have to go back over you know, we've done an awful lot of engagement we understand the site specifically um, and the requirements of the site and the requirements of um, people like historic england and the planners in terms of height scale mass that kind of thing so there's an awful lot of time we've spent that we don't need to go back and do yes we need we, we do need to revisit the design and then there'll be more engagement on that design with both public bodies that I just mentioned. But that should be much shorter than the process we've been through. I, if we can get going again on that um, later on this year, back end of this year, we should be in a position next year, um, potentially, I'm going to put the neck on the line, potentially this time next year, I'll get off the fence and commit, Phil. We could be submitting a planning application. We need to give time for that planning application to be considered. Um, it's likely, you know, difficult, complex city with World Heritage status, it's likely that will be offered to Secretary of State to say if they want to call it in or not. Um, quite a lot of large projects are being offered but not being declined. You can turn away and say, no, we don't want to see it. It depends 
depends if there's anything specific they they want considered but you know i would like to think that we would be getting a decision on that planning application at least before the next election may 23. yeah okay now that's good so um really push that work through in in the 2022 calendar year so we will provide an update um to supporters and members on uh, the stadium project moving forward um there's also an agm of the liberal Dem liberal democrat crap can't even say it Lib liberal the lib dem council um on the 6th of may hopefully there'll be some there's a change of leader some cabinet positions planning committee hopefully all of that will be positive we'll keep you updated on that um conscious of time three questions panel um phil sorry rude of me thank you uh, very much for joining us and giving us your time this evening and look forward to um, working more on that project with you um so panel stuart dunny landy um if you don't mind it might be a minute or two over but not much more i've just got three questions one for each of you stuart european semi-final against montpellier in 10 days time at the rack before that we got sunday's game against wasps uh, up at the rico six regular rounds remaining with 10 points off third and fourth in the league what are our objectives in uh, for the rest of the season what do we need to do to achieve them well our objectives if we sit here after the 26th of june is we want to have two trophies um we're not shooting any lower than that oh, um we're going home semi-final against montpellier um we will as this squad always does we'll 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 look at each game as it comes but there's no other objective other than wanting to sit here um on the 27th of june with two trophies okay um simple as that really like it um danny i'm going to come to you and firstly if you're selected for sunday's game um because obviously team won't be out publicly until saturday so if you're selected for sunday's game it will be your 150th appearance for the club halfway towards that 300 that you spoke about um earlier which is well firstly i just want everyone to recognize that and everyone at home to clap we can't hear them but i'm sure they're clapping um absolutely brilliant you've been a brilliant servant to the club and not just to the club but i know you go out and you coach in the community i know you also support your missus who is amazing in terms of what she does at hospice and the hospital so you're, you know you're a brilliant team you put club and team first and you always put your body on the line so firstly thank you and i know that's a massive thank you from everyone at home as well supporters um so I just wanted to ask you about mood in the camp. Um, just can you give an update on how the lads are doing, how the squad's feeling about where we sit um, and the opportunities ahead of this season? Where, where's, where is everyone at? Where's the group at? Uh, the lads, we're, we're excited. Um, it gives us time in the year where, you know, you can almost sometimes be a bit of a split group. There are boys moving on, there are boys staying, there are boys, you know, the, the, uh, boys playing, boys not playing. There's a lot of things going on, but actually, I feel like we're um, we're emotionally connected at the minute. We're emotionally like in a great place, and I feel like having that emotional connection to games and having that desire to get better and using it all as an opportunity. So there's an opportunity this weekend to get us in the top four in two weeks' time. There's an opportunity in ten days' time to get to a final, and these opportunities don't come around very often. Uh, our boys get excited by that. You can feel it. There's a bit of an edge. But basically, like the way I look at it, is we're in knockout rugby. Um, we've got to win a 
every game now to, to achieve those two trophies. And that's exciting. And I think, you know, boys are staying confident from the tight results. You know, we were getting the points where we need them. And that's exciting again. So boys are ready to go. They're itching to play. There's so many boys itching to play. And that that makes everyone more competitive. It gives a buzz. And I think we're in a good place. Brilliant. Sounds good. Sounds good. And um, Landy, no pressure. I am going to finish with you, um, if I may. Um, so we've just launched season tickets. And in the process, we uh, realised we've got a number of players who've never played in front of crowds at the wreck. Um, so it's incredibly exciting. We're going to start to welcome socially distanced crowds in, well, after May the 17th, as Alex said, and the return to full crowds is planned over the summer in different sports. I just wondered, is this something that the squad talk about and what does it mean to the players thinking about the return of crowds to the wreck? Yeah, so obviously my first game uh, of professional rugby was without a crowd. Um, and it was uh, mixed emotions for, for me personally. Um, I think I was less nervous because I've been part of the crowd since I was four or five years old. Um, I've always gone to the wreck and the atmosphere is incredible. And... I've always thought about being on the pitch there, so it felt less like a um, less like a you know a test match with with fourteen thousand people watching and more um, an, e and an easier step up. But I, I can't wait, um, and I think the boys are absolutely buzzing for for crowds to be back. Um, I think it will it will really give the team a, a huge lift as it always does, and I can't wait to to play in front of friends and family and and um, and have that. So yeah, it's huge excitement I think. Brilliant. Well, the incentive is the longer the season goes on, the more we're in the knockout games, the better the chance of playing to crowds. And hopefully, we had Simon Halliday, the European chairman at the Irish game, and I said to him, the European finals have to be played in England because it's the one country that can guarantee crowds. So hopefully, 21st of May, hopefully, of course, 26th of June. Um, I've overrun slightly. Could have asked many more questions because you've been brilliant panel. Uh, Landy, brilliant to hear from you. Well done. We'll find out later what those forfeits are um, for your internet connection being lost. Dunny, uh, brilliant as always. Craig, thank you. Brilliant to get into detail on the pathway. And Stuart, uh, fantastic as always. And um, Jojo, Alex, Phil, I know you can hear me somewhere. Um, thank you as well for your contributions and everyone else who helps supporting the events, Dave and the team who put the events on. And then just finally from all of us to all of our supporters, uh, shirt sponsors, hospitality partners, you are the club, your support is massive. We can't wait to see you back at the rec, but in the meantime, keep cheering, keep supporting and thank you. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye.